Thanksgiving week and all of us potentially have prepared for this great meal. I don't know if you are a planner, but some of you have already have turkey and dressing and, and whatever that it takes to, to actually make Thanksgiving happen. However, um, it takes some time, right? And so have you done this? I don't know. But if you have prepared in the way that these people have prepared, in this passage, you know it takes effort and energy and forethought in order to pull this great theme or this great feast uh, about. We are in a series called The Realia of Food and Drink. The word realia is a, a word that means a, a simple object used as an object lesson. And all throughout the Gospel of Luke, we have these object lessons of food and drink to be able to get us to understand who Jesus is and what the kingdom of God is like. Here we are, we're finishing up Luke. We only have one more sermon left, but here we are, Thanksgiving week, talking about probably the most important and impactful meal that has ever been consumed in our human history. It is that grave, it is that wonderful, it is that good, and it's Thanksgiving week that we want us to reflect on that meal, that table, that supper. So Thanksgiving, I got a phone call from my mom, and it was a very disturbing phone call. Spencer, I've got an idea, she says. She says, I know Thanksgiving comes with all kinds of traditions, right? And so we show up at mom's house, and we eat good food, and then the day after we go into North Carolina or Roan Mountain, we get a Christmas tree. It's all the things. It's wonderful. It's good. And my eyes were like, yeah, mom going to be great. And she says, I've got an idea. I would like to do something new this year. New? Okay. I'm always up for a good idea. She says, so this year, Thanksgiving is going to have a circus theme. A circus theme? That's weird. She said, so when you think about the circus, what do you think of? And I was like, elephants. And she was like, no, 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 for the meal, what do you think about when you think about the circus? And I go, cotton candy. She was like, that's it. We're going to have cotton candy, boiled peanuts, hard uh, peanuts, and get all this, and popcorn. I mean, loads of popcorn. Because they said, and I mean, she is so enthusiastic about this. She says, do you know what the most endearing smell of all humanity is? Popcorn. So nothing says home like this. It's going to be great. It's going to possibly start a new tradition altogether. I wasn't ready to hang up on my mother. This is a terrible idea. And she kept using the word new. It's going to be a new tradition. It's going to be amazing. And you're going to love it. And I was like, no, I'm not. Click. None of that happened. That's all a story. But I wanted to shock you all and think about the craziness of that terror. And, and probably, I don't want you to think badly about my mother. She's wonderful. She's great. She would never do anything like this. But I wanted to shock you because I think that we get way too comfortable with this text. And there is a word in here that is as shocking as what I just said. And it is the word new. I'm going to do something new, Jesus said. Something is going to happen in this meal that will change their life forever. And it has nothing to do necessarily with the elements. 
the elements get all the play. There's, there's a cup of, of wine. There's a loaf of bread. There may be an absence of a lamb. Or, you know, so the food gets all of the play, but the newness is what Jesus is actually about to define for us. This meal is going to change us forever. This is central to our life as a church. From the very beginning, we've said that the Lord's table should be the most important part of our service. And so it's more than even the sermon because it's an invitation for all of us to respond to the truth that was taught. The sermon, and then we respond to it because our response is to Jesus always. And so week after week, we, we, after the threat of it getting old or tiresome or boring, but week after week, we say it is good for you and me to remind ourselves exactly what Jesus has done. And if the sermon falls flat, and if the gospel potentially isn't shared very well, at least the table and those elements will be rolled out for you and I to know who is at the center of this, this church. And it's Jesus Christ himself. Here in Luke chapter 22, it's dripping with history. We may not can get it here, but this is a Passover. It starts with this, the, the week of unleavened bread, in which we are going to celebrate two different feasts of the seven feasts of the Old Testament, wrapped up here. It started in Exodus chapter, seven, or, uh, chapter 12, verses 7 and following, with the picture of what the first Passover was like. This is what the Lord himself, this is what Yahweh says. He says, I will appoint him. And this is the death angel. I will appoint him to slay, to kill, to devour all of your firstborns. And so this is what is dripping in history underneath this table, is this threat of death. Who's going to die? Who's going to survive? You can't understand the Lord's table without understanding death. And the question, who is going to die? I will, Yahweh says, I will destroy every last one of them. And now everybody's attention is peaked. And so here's what he de- says. He says, command the people to take something, a lamb, to kill it, and to take the blood and to mark their doorframe lintels in the doorpost, paint it, splatter the blood, and hide underneath that doorpost. Because all of those who fail to mark their doorpost, the entry of their home, he says, all those who fail to mark that will undergo the death angel. But those who mark that place, the death angel will pass over, and no harm will befall my people. So there is one part threat and then one part rescue. And so for you and me as God's people, what is the threat and where is the rescue? Because yes, we take it week in and week out. And yes, it's under, potentially it's getting boring and repetitious and maybe it it loses its specialness and we're just kind of can go through the motion. But it never gets tired when... My wife says, I love you, or a hug from a kid, or someone does something for me. And so with that repetition, 
We want it to burn into our hearts that this is it. So what is the something that's new? What is the new? What is going to shock the world? What is it that Jesus is about to initiate that here we are 2,000 years later, we're not talking about Passover anymore. We're talking about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, because of two pronouns, two simple pronouns. This will be my flesh, and this will be my blood. Jesus makes this Passover and death and threat and a rescue, and he makes it about himself. This is about me. This is the seventh of nine official meals inside of the Gospel of Luke. They've been wonderful to go and research. The Gospel of Luke has changed me and how I even read the Gospel. It's been so wonderful. But the phrase that's, that has really captured my heart is this little phrase that he, had, he has pointed his face to Jerusalem. Because Jesus Christ left heaven for one reason. For this night. And for tomorrow, which would be Good Friday when he gave his life. This moment in time doesn't, doesn't surprise him at all. We can blame the Romans for his death. We can blame the Jews for his death. We can blame Judas for his death. We can blame all of these things. But it's Jesus who says, from the foundations of the earth, before time even began, let me tell you that the lamb was meant to be slain. This is what is new my blood, my flesh. It is only about him. And so the Passover lamb is Jesus and Jesus alone. So Good Friday is officially Passover. Jesus is celebrating this uh, just a little bit early because Friday was the, 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 the national holiday and then they were going to rest on Sabbath, which is on a Saturday. You have to um, sacrifice the lamb for this Passover, sometime before sunset, somewhere between three and six o'clock, before dusk, do you know when Jesus dies? Sometime Good Friday, sometime Friday afternoon. So the picture is more than ironic. It's iconic in the way that tens of thousands of baby lambs were being slaughtered for their Passover when Jesus Christ himself, the lamb who was slain, was doing that for us. It was Augustine who says that he defined this picture of the Lord's Supper as both an outward and visible sign of an inward and a spiritual grace. And that's why we call this a form of grace for God's people because it's visual and you can see it, you touch it, you consume it, but you also ingest it, you consume it. So it's both outward and inward at the same time. And that's one reason that we come to the Lord's table. It's good for us to pinch bread. It's good for us to hold a little thing of juice. It's good for us to consume. 
It's good for it to disappear, for it to digest and become a part of us. Because it's not just visible. It's also highly spiritual. Where do you put your faith? In yourself or in these elements? This is what is new. My flesh and my blood for us. Jesus says that this, I have come to lay down my life for you. I will lay it down for you. Jesus Christ had to die. Notice here, he says, and the hour has come. It's perfectly orchestrated. It's perfectly planned out. This is exactly what he had to do. Nothing took him by surprise. As the cross loomed in front of him, every step of the journey from that point to now was leading here. He doesn't want us necessarily to remember baby Jesus or even the miracles of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus. He wants this image seared in our mind and our heart because he wants this to change us forever. This is why he came. He came for this to happen. He couldn't have died by drowning. He could not have died by COVID. He couldn't have died in January. Everything was orchestrated. This form of death in this season of time because it's all about him. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end. The realia of food and drink. These meals upon meals is only Jesus and Jesus alone. This is what we remember. This is the object lesson. This is what we remember when we talk about him. He's not some scribe or rabbi. He's our savior and Lord. This is why he came for us. The hour had come. This was the time. This was the turning point for everything. Everything changed when the disciples stopped celebrating Passover and began to celebrate the Lord's table. So in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, when Paul is writing this, he says, do this in remembrance of Christ Jesus. Acts tells us this is why they gather to remember Christ Jesus. It's not the Passover anymore. It's the cross of deliverance. The deliverance was amazing. If you understand anything about the Egyptians and the, and the slavery and the torment that, they, that the Jewish people went under, I mean, the deliverance was incredible. 400 years of slavery, it was terrible. They're not talking about that anymore. Because what was the ultimate picture of redemption on this night became the penultimate picture of deliverance. It's now, it can never compete with what Jesus Christ is about to do for you and for me. This is what we are talking about. That Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, willingly gave his life for us. This is what is new. My flesh and my blood. It's interesting when we read these two sections, we read it together. One is the, 
the, just the preparation of the, the Passover meal. And the one is the installation of what we call the Lord's Supper. And, and, and one's a very historical moment, and one is just to prepare, prepare us for what we're going to be doing. The word prepare in this first section happens over and over and over and over again. Prepare, he says. Prepare, he says. Go and prepare the Passover for it. Where will you have us prepare it, he says. There, and then he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and they found it just as they had told them. And then they prepared the Passover. It's not ironic that in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually tells us with a warning to prepare our hearts for this time and this place. Because what we are about to enter into is a holy time between us and King Jesus himself. He installs the Lord's Supper. He tells us this is what we should do. He tells us to do this in remembrance of him. All of this is wonderful and good. And yet it can be entirely historic without this tiny little word, desire. Look in verse 14, and so the hour had come when he reclined at table and the apostles with him. Verse 15, and he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before our I suffer. It doesn't really relate in English, this earnestly desire. It's kind of like saying desire, desire, or desire deeply to desire. I mean, just it was a little redundant, so we tried to make it make sense in English. But whatever it is, this is where we get the passion of the Christ. Because this is a phrase or a moment dripping with emotion. We'll get to the prayer in Gethsemane later, but right here and now, this emotion is positive. It's not negative. He'll have plenty of dread, right? He'll have plenty of questions. But for now, in this moment, he earnestly desires to do this with him. Historians tell us that this is a family meal. This is, you, you, you get your, your cousins and your in-laws and your mom and your dad and your kids and we're all around and this is a moment that's a family meal. Historians tell us, and the passage includes it, that Jesus isn't with his family and neither are his apostles. Because Jesus is starting a new family, a new kingdom, a new reality that is on him. And so this word desire is emotion, emotional. It's emotionally overpowering us and it's positive. Jesus Christ positively emotionally went to the cross for you. Jesus earnestly desired to leave heaven to come to earth for this moment. Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so we too, as we come to the table of remembrance, we too should come knowing that this is a celebratory moment. This is a moment where we understand that we are right with God. That the union between a holy God and sinful humanity actually makes a little bit of sense. 
because Jesus Christ is that bridge. How do we know that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us? Because 600 years before this moment, the prophet Isaiah says this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many are astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been seen shall be told of them, and that which they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed us? He has heard from us. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this man, He grew up before him as a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. This man, marred beyond any semblance of man. No form, no majesty, no beauty. Verse 3, he was despised. He was rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he is born taken, held, hung. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus starts something new. A brand new covenant in his blood. This new covenant was more than the Mosaic Covenant or the Edemic Covenant or the Abrahamic Covenant, the Davidic Covenant. This new covenant was about Jesus and Jesus alone. And it was about the forgiveness of sins. The iniquity of us all was laid on him. And so today we're going to take a little extra time, less in the scriptures and more just enjoying the table of the Lord. We don't do this a lot. This is called intinction, where you actually take a piece of bread and you you dip it in the juice and then you ingest. Usually we take it as a family, which is very appropriate and good. Today we want you to take it as individuals. 
For the Lord has laid upon the iniquity of your sin on him. Do you believe? By taking of this table, you are ingesting, you're consuming, you're having faith in Jesus more than you're having faith in yourself. We would encourage you today, every one of us, to believe in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. So let me pray. And so King Jesus, I pray now that in your good timing that you would allow us to understand these elements, good and pure. And so as we enjoy these elements, as we understand that we have been welcomed to the table, Lord, we come with humility, but we also come with thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread. This piece of bread that was just a picture of nutrition and sustenance. This was the foundation of all society. And he took a piece of bread and broke it. And he says to them in front of them, even the one that will run away from him, this is my body given for you. And then he took a chalice of wine this picture of joy and celebration. They had already consumed three glasses. This is the fourth. This is the most celebratory of all the glasses. And he took it and he says, I want you to share it. And this blood is for me, about me, because I'm about to pour it out for the remission of sin. And so the body of Christ and the blood of Christ given And so brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we will consume of the table of the Lord this morning. Jeremiah will be on the left and I'll be on on your right. Come as an individual this morning for you have been forgiven. Go ahead and stand. Come as you feel feel led.